Amen. So as I said, the title for the sermon is Receiving the Kingdom of God. And that title comes from the 15th verse of this chapter, where Jesus Christ, addressing um, the little children, says um, that unless you become like the little children, you do not, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you cannot enter it. So if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you won't enter the kingdom of God. And right there, you see two of the ways in which Jesus Christ speaks about one of the most important themes in his entire uh, ministry. While he was on earth preaching Jesus Christ, two of the ways he spoke about the most important theme, one of the most important themes, if not the most important theme. Um, So the theme is the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ always preached, proclaimed that the kingdom in his coming, in his presence, in receiving him, uh, he brought the kingdom of God and the, the, the purpose of the church's existence was to proclaim the kingdom of God. But he also spoke of entering and receiving that kingdom. There's two of the ways. There's, there's many ways in which Jesus Christ spoke about uh, how people interacted with the kingdom, how you became part of the kingdom. And two of the ways you, you see here, enter, uh, entering is one of the ways. And when Jesus Christ says, enter the kingdom of God, he probably has in mind the, um, the idea of, uh, uh, of the fact that the kingdom has a future element to it, a future perspective to it. So in one sense, the kingdom of God is a future reality. Um, we, we want to finally enter there. When all is said and done, Jesus Christ says, God has a kingdom that you want to enter into, the kingdom that will truly last forever, a kingdom that is eternal. But to emphasize the fact that the kingdom is not just a future reality, but very often, and even maybe more so in Jesus Christ's preaching, it was a present reality. It wasn't just something that you were waiting to find out if you made it into the kingdom, so just a heaven that hopefully when I die I get there. It was a kingdom that you had to experience at present. Christ would also use terms like receiving the kingdom. You can think of other terms that Christ used if, if you're familiar um, with, with these, uh, this idea in the Bible. You can think of other ter- terms that Christ used like seeing, you know, you see the kingdom. But Jesus would use terms like uh, receiving the kingdom to emphasize the fact that the kingdom was something that you saw um, something that you receive now, something that you experienced now, not just in future. So you, you, you should know if you're going to enter to the kingdom of God. You don't just wait to find out if you enter. You, you know now. You know now because you can receive it now. Um, and to receive the kingdom of God, um, and the reason why Jesus Christ can speak about the kingdom of God in this way is because the, the idea of kingdom in Jesus Christ's mind, the idea of the kingdom, is not just a It's not simply a a place, it's not a physical place, I'm going to say in a moment, in and of itself. There's there's certainly physicality to it, and we have to be careful. But primarily, the kingdom is about God's dominion, God reigning. And it's true that Christians believe that one day we will um, arrive in heaven where God's reign will um, will be climactic, and there will be no rebels, as it were. 
Um, however, we don't believe that you wait till then to see God reigning. God reigns in your life now if you truly trust him, if you receive him. So the, the concept of kingdom in Jesus Christ's mind has primarily to do with this idea of receiving God's reign, uh, receiving, realizing that God must rule in your life, submitting to God's ruling, saying, Every, I, I realize that I was made for God, and um, every area of my life is meant to bring glory to God. And the only thing worth living for is the God who made me. You receive the kingdom. And so this is what Jesus Christ was always preaching. Christ was always preaching the kingdom, the reign of God, God reigning. Now, of course, implicit in that is the idea that Jesus Christ believes that human beings have to be brought back to the reign of God. Christ believes that human beings need to be reconciled. They, they need to be brought back to God reigning in their lives. Uh, almost if you want, generally speaking or naturally speaking, human beings don't surrender to the reign of God. Human beings are not submitted to God's reigning in their lives, God ordering their lives, God leading every part of their lives. It's something that you need to be brought back to. And Jesus Christ was always preaching the reign of God. God must reign in your life. You must, you must surrender everything to God Human beings have gone far from God. They have to come back to him. Always preaching the kingdom of God. Always, always, always preaching the kingdom of God. I remember someone saying to me once um, that they, they struggled to come to this church because they, they felt like the preaching was always about, you know, salvation and how you can be with God. But other areas in their lives, they, 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 didn't, they, 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 wasn't, they didn't find the preaching motivational. The, the preaching didn't you know, address like other things that they wanted to achieve. I said, thank God, praise God. Because that's what Christ was always preaching. Christ was always preaching that the most important thing is how you walk with God. Now in one sense, it's not true that proclaiming that, can, I, can this mic be turned up, please? Thanks. <laughs> of course, in one sense, um, it's not true that you can ever proclaim God without touching any area of your life. So, right, it's, it's not like you can say God reigns and God should reign in your life, and there's an area of your life that remains untouched. That's impossible. Yeah, so, so in one sense, that's true. But the idea that the church should be preoccupied with, you know, um, trying to make you a better business person, trying to help you achieve some dream you have, convince you that everything is just going to go well in, in life for you. Um, help you discover yourself, motivate you. That's what the church is there for, bringing community together. That's the primary effect of the church. Some people just associate the church with like community activity. The church just feeds the poor. The church just makes sure there's no violence. And that's all helpful things that the church might be involved in. But you totally misunderstand the purpose of the church if you don't realize that it's primary, it's sole duty it's to tell you that you have to surrender to your God and how you can walk with him and how you can trust him and how you can depend on him and how you can make sure that you're in God's kingdom in, uh, under his reign. And one of the ways that you see this remarkably in this, these passages, and I'm, gonna, um, I'm going to uh, give you a short summary of the two, two portions of, of um, the two stories, the two, two sections in chapter 10 that we're going to be focusing on in a moment. Um, uh, so so one, one, of, one of those major sections from verse 13 to 16 is the story of how Jesus Christ interacts with children, right? So 
receiving the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ demonstrates that, teaches us something about how to receive the kingdom and how to receive the reign of God and how to make sure that we're surrendered to God reigning in our lives. He shows us something of that in his interaction with the little children. The, um, the parents had brought children to, to Jesus Christ. This was something that was common at the time. Um, you'd bring your child to a, a respected teacher you know, someone who you thought was close to God because you thought they could, they could bless them, pray for them. It wasn't, it, it was, it was something, it wasn't out of the ordinary. I don't, I know it's not as, it's not something as typical today. Um, although saying that, you, you think of how many people who are not Christians but still want to have like christenings or baby dedications or like naming ceremony type things, even though they're not really Christians per se, but they still want that sense of, you know, some ceremony or some symbol that acknowledges God's blessing upon the child. Um, maybe that, that, that instinctive feeling we all have that we need God to sustain us. And so they want, you want the best for your child. And so, so something along those lines, um, they, they bring the child to Jesus to bless him. The, the disciples basically are saying, we don't have time for this. Jesus has way more to do than to be giving, you, giving your children blessings. Like, do you know who he is? Like, he's, he's, he's about to preach to another 5,000. You think he has time for your little children? The, the, the interesting thing is the Bible is specific about Jesus Christ's emotion here. He's angry. The ESV translates it, he's indignant, all right? God, he's, this is something he does not stand for, stopping the children from coming to him, right? He says, let the children come to me. And then the children become a, a kind of case study to help us understand that you have to become like children to belong to the kingdom of God. You have to be, if you're not the kind of people who can accept these children to come to me, you don't understand what my kingdom is like, is what Jesus Christ says to them. One thing I want you to note here, though, is that even for children, even when children come to meet Jesus Christ for a blessing, he can't help but bring up the kingdom of God, even for little children. Christ doesn't say, well, you know, this, they're children, so the whole idea of spiritual things is not for them. You know, they don't have to, they don't, they don't need to worry about the kingdom. They're just children. I'll just, no, he, he, he sees it as an opportunity to speak about the importance of the, of the kingdom of God. In fact, when Jesus Christ says in verse 14, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. One of the things he's surely indicating is children need Jesus. Children need the kingdom of God. Have you heard people suggest that it's unfair to teach your children about, if you have children, to teach children about spiritual things, to tell them about God, to tell them about religion. That's not right. Let them have their own mind, and then when they get their choose, that kind of that kind of stuff, that's a lie of Satan. The most basic thing kids children need is God. If you're raising children every single day, they're growing in their mentality and their physicality. You're, you should be preparing. How can they know about their Maker, their God? It's the most important thing. No one's going to say, if you saw a parent who was telling their child about fire, don't touch the fire, you wouldn't say, oh, that's too, come on, that's too, um, that's too serious for a child. You know, you're scaring them. No, because you know it's most basic to their life for them to be safe. Well, it's most basic to the lives of even children to know who their God is. That's the importance that Jesus Christ places on us knowing God. Even children need to know. And if you're a parent and you have children or you have a child today, Remember that the most important thing you can give your child is the knowledge of God. Don't let anything get in the way. Don't let sports get in the way and entertainment and their talents. 
Better off your child being a nobody in the eyes of the world, but knowing the true and living God. You know, don't, don't spend all your time trying to make them achieve the things you didn't achieve. When the one thing that's most precious in your life, that God has saved you, you can give to them, at least by instructing them in the way of the Lord. Nothing like knowing God is the most basic thing in life. And then there's a second kind of uh, second section, second pericope, where Jesus Christ meets with this rich young ruler from verse 17 through to about 31. Jesus Christ is discussing that issue. Uh, there's this young man who's wealthy, but also very sensitive to the need for religion. He's wealthy, but also realizes that, you know what, I need, what, what's going to happen when I die? What's going to happen to me? My money can't save me then. You know, and, and I want to, I a rich person feels secure in their riches, but he would also like to be secure in the world to come. He would like to secure his life now. That's, what we, that's why we all want wealth, for security. Well, he's got that now, but he's feeling the insecurity of not having wealth for the life to come. So he wants that wealth. Now, how can I make sure that when I die, I'm, I'm, I'm also rich and not poor, and I'm in the kingdom of God? And Jesus Christ explains to him, well, sell everything you have in this world if you truly want God's riches in the next. And he's upset by this. The same way Jesus Christ is angry almost, at them trying to stop the children from coming to him, the young ruler is angry at Jesus Christ even saying that he, should, he has to forsake his wealth. Um, and Jesus Christ goes on to explain how riches, um, how riches are a danger to making it to the kingdom. Um, but, but thank God that God is able to do the impossible and let even rich people see their need for a savior. Um, so Jesus Christ in both these both these situations, the young rich ruler, the children, is telling us something about how you receive the kingdom of God. How you know that God is your, how, how, you, how you surrender to God's ruling. How, how you can assess your life. You know, and, and so there's different areas. You may, you may just ha, ha, have never surrendered your life to God. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you're just in a place where you, you, uh, you, you, you're just not, you've not made a decision yet. There. And Jesus Christ has wisdom for us. But you may be someone who you have, you claim to have surrendered your life to God. And Jesus Christ wants you to make sure that you know, that you know that you have surrendered your life to God and know what it looks like, that you haven't been deceived. Um, and I'm going to draw your attention then to just four things that Jesus Christ tells us about his kingdom here, about the reign of God, that, 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 that tell us about how you receive the kingdom of God. One is what Jesus Christ tells us, implicitly at least, about the nature of his kingdom, the nature of his kingdom. Uh, but by virtue of what Jesus Christ says, how he interacts with his disciples when they bring the children, how he interacts with the young rich ruler, the Lord tells us some important things about the nature of the kingdom. This is crucial so that we know what we're dealing with here. It's crucial if you and I are also, if we believe we're in the kingdom and we want to tell others about the kingdom so that we know that we are emphasizing the right things. Um, so many people today, it has to be regretted and assumed, regrettably assumed, have bought into a idea of Christianity that is just not Christian, Christian at all. They have bought into the idea of the kingdom of God, which is not the true kingdom at all. And is, you know, the, the tragedy of that is some of them may never realize that until, uh, until the afterlife and they have no, they're not, they're, not, they're not allowed entry into the kingdom. And that's a tragedy. 
What's the nature of the kingdom that Jesus Christ tells us here? I'm going to say three things about that. One, he tells us it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. He emphasizes that. Again, I, I want to be very careful and say, this is not to say that there's no physical dimension to the kingdom of God. Uh, for example, we believe that one day in God's kingdom, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, an actual physical earth, um, uh, where, where, where we'll spend eternity forever, where there will be no, no, more, no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, and we'll, we'll live there in actual physical bodies. But those of us who, who die before Jesus comes back, our bodies raised up again. We live in actual physical body. We believe that. And in the kingdom of God, then there'll be everything. There'll be food and music and sports and so on. It'll be a real physical place. And yet, the focus of Christ's teaching is to remind us that none of this is achieved by um, physical effort, by earthly effort. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual kingdom. You, you, you know you belong to this kingdom, not merely by your physical, um, your physical situation, where you are physically, but by something that's happening spiritually. Has your heart been changed? Does God live in your heart? It's a spiritual thing. So, so, so implicitly in these, two, in these two sections, these two stories we've seen, Christ makes it very clear. There's no amount of money can purchase the kingdom. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ tells the disciples, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. They're shocked. They're amazed. What is it that the rich cannot buy and can't afford? Don't we need rich people to sponsor even our ministry? Like, you know, Jesus, we keep walking everywhere. You know, don't we need rich people to, to give us houses to live? And Jesus says, but not all the money in the world can buy the things of the kingdom. Not all the things that money achieves. You know, money can, can, can achieve the best organization, the best planning, the best resources, but there's not enough to bring someone into God's kingdom, into relationship with God. With the children, Jesus Christ teaches not status. You need to understand, when, when, when Jesus Christ says about the children that to such belongs the kingdom of God, but when he says, if you don't receive like a child, you can't, you can't enter the kingdom, you need to understand what he's referring to there. He's not saying, as some of us wrongfully think. Children are very innocent and selfless and kind and pure, so to them belongs the kingdom. It's not what he's saying. Jesus doesn't think that. The Bible doesn't really say that children are pure, and I can say, I can testify to that because I have three. Um, but, but besides the point, even if there was any truth to that, it's not what Jesus is saying here. You see, there's context. In the context, and you can see almost implicitly in what takes place, why are the disciples so bold as to say, don't come? Earlier in the book of Mark, I think it's chapter 3 or 4, Jesus' family come to interrupt him preaching. So right here, we don't even read that Jesus is preaching. Earlier on in chapter 3, they, he's, he's actually preaching. But because Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, and his brothers are there, the disciples say, oh, oh. Interrupt him while he's preaching because he, they're that important. Like they're, they're those important. Jesus Christ ends up saying to them, No, they're not important enough to interrupt ministry. Right? He ends up saying that to them. But the disciples associated a certain status to them because of their blood relation to the Savior. Here, though, the children come. We don't, we're not even told that Jesus is preaching, but, he was, but, but the disciples say, No, why? Because of status. The children don't have the status. They're to be seen and not heard. They don't bring anything. 
They don't contribute anything. Who are they? They're just children. This is, this, is, this is crazy of you parents to think that Jesus will have time for folks who have no status. And Jesus says he uses that to teach about the kingdom of God. You can't, you can't arrive in. You can't, you can't attain to the kingdom of God by your status. Right? In the world, status is respected. In the world, people respect clout and, uh, and, and, your, and, and how people feel about you. And that's respected. Among us, if a certain individual walked in here, even some of you now, the sermon will be interrupted. So that's, oh, that's, that's uh, I don't know who that's, who that's for you, but that's, that's, right? In the world, status moves, shakes things, not in the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual thing. You can't be born into it. You can't study for it. To walk with God. People misunderstand this so much. They say, oh, um, you only believe this because you were raised in the church. Far from the truth. Just go and see how many people who were raised in the church and have departed from it. He only believes that because he's a pastor's child. We all know what it says about pastor's kids. It doesn't work that way. It's not by blood. It's not by culture. It's not, it's, it's not by any of that. It's a spiritual thing. You can't inherit it. In fact, later on, Jesus Christ says, with man, verse 27, he's talking about the whole process of salvation. With man, it's impossible. That's how little of a physical thing it is, that a man can never bring himself under God's reign. But with God, it's possible. Only God can awaken us to see our need for him. A man or a woman can drive you to church, like my parents did for me for 15, 16 years. A man or a woman can make you pray every morning. Yes, they can make you say prayers. They can make you sing songs, but they cannot make you seek after God. They can't make you love him and fear him and see how desperately you need him. It's spiritual. Because it's spiritual, it also then means that this, this kingdom, it subverts the current order of the world. It's not like the world around it. It's a unique kingdom in that sense. That's the nature of God's kingdom. That's why when the Bible describes the kingdom of God in the scriptures, it speaks about a kingdom of light, contrasting it with a kingdom of darkness for those who are outside it. It's nothing like the world around it. There's something unique about it. It forms a new life, a new entity, a new community. It changes. It's black and white. It's day and night. And you can see this, for example, in what Jesus Christ says later on. Later on, the apostles the disciples, after seeing the rich young man who turns away from Jesus because Jesus says he has to be willing to forsake his wealth for him, they get all boastful and prideful and say, we left off, we left everything for you. What do we actually gain from this? And Jesus Christ tells them about the blessings of the kingdom. But in the last verse, he, he, he gives them a word of warning, at least Peter anyway, a word of warning to humble Peter for what he said. He says, Peter, don't forget in this kingdom, verse 31, many who are first will be last, and the last first. This kingdom is not like the world around it. In the world, those who are leaders and who are, the, who are uh, assertive and who are brash and who are confident, the first are the first. They lead. In the kingdom is those who become last who become first. I'll explain more of that in a moment. But it's not like the world around it. It subverts the current order of the world. In this kingdom is those who become like children. 
those who, who aren't able to speak for themselves, those who are not articulate. You, you know how it is in the world. We, 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 we sit in a place and we, we pinpoint the potential leaders as the ones who can speak assertively, who are, able, who are eloquent, the ones who possess, possess a certain amount of knowledge, the ones who can reason, the ones who, ha- who are insightful. They're the ones who stand out. Right? But in the kingdom, it subverts the order. It's not like the world around it. And the third thing to say about this kingdom, quite clearly, it's of supreme worth. It's of supreme worth. Over and over, Jesus is making it clear. Yes, the kingdom is hard to get into. Yes, the kingdom is spiritual. Yes, the kingdom is frowned upon by the world around it. So that later on, Jesus Christ even says there's persecution for it. It's persecuted because it's not like the world around it. And yet... You can't afford to walk away from God's reign. You can't afford to walk away from God's kingdom. It's of supreme worth. Nothing compares to it. Even in childhood, you see, even in childhood, you need to know God. There's so many things that you don't, you don't disturb your kids with. Their children, they don't need to know about that. Their children, we don't need to talk about that with them yet, just yet. Leave that away from them. But here's Jesus Christ. And my friends, the message of how we walk with God includes a a, a bloody, a gory story about a Savior who was beaten, who wore crowns of thorns, who bled, who died. And Jesus said, but you have to tell the kids about that because it's of supreme importance. Nothing's as important as walking with God. It's eternal life we're dealing with here. Your life on this side of eternity is so short compared to where you spend the rest of your life. It's of supreme worth. Jesus Christ looks at this rich man and says, sell everything. Uh, The Bible says Jesus loved him. I feel like Christ looked at him and Christ was conflicted. He looked at him and he thought, he loves his wealth so much and I wish he would understand Jesus Christ and his kingdom is worth forsaking all your wealth for. Jesus says to him, you know how brave you have to be to say to someone, go and give all your money away and follow me. Those of you who have been broke before know what money can do. (laughs) Those of you who have been desperate and knowing that funds would change your life know what money can do. Maybe many of us haven't been in the kind of desperate situation where a bit of money would save your life. We know how important money is and how money can be. And Jesus says, sell it all. The kingdom is of supreme worth. Nothing compares to you knowing God. The disciple says, we forsook everything to follow you. Jesus Christ says, and you made the right decision. It's of supreme worth. In fact, he says, I can tell you that no one who has forsaken everything for the kingdom they will receive a hundredfold back, a hundred times. But the point when Christ says a hundredfold is to say, they will receive completely. It's an investment you can't lose on. They will be totally satisfied. The kingdom is of supreme worth. Knowing God is of supreme worth, knowing that God is my savior, walking with him is of supreme worth. Is that how we speak about the kingdom? Is that how we think about our walk with God? Let me press on quickly. Second thing is, what does Jesus Christ say then about the attitude 
for receiving the kingdom. What's, what's the attitude? Remember, he says a few things about this. Christ warns us, if you take seriously the calling to know your God, to walk with God, to, be, to receive, if you take it seriously, remember the attitude you must have, he says. Children, you must become like children. Verse 14, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for to such belongs. It's people like them that own the kingdom of God. It's people like them that enter into the kingdom of God. It's people like them that receive the kingdom of God. Verse 15, truly I say to you, if you do not receive the kingdom of God like a child, you do not enter it. As I said to you before, this is, what, this is, this is primarily an issue about the status of children that children essentially have nothing to bring to the table. I have kids, and they, they expect to be fed. Okay, I, I, I would say three times a day. I'll be, I, I'll be honest, though, because we're in church as well. I need to be, my kids expect to be fed nine times. Nine times a day, my kids expect to be fed, right? Constantly. And we're teaching them manners and so on, but they just, they just that, I'm hungry. I'm on breakfast. I'm just like, bro, you don't work. You don't you don't work for this, you don't, and sometimes if he comes, he asks me, my, my, my son asks me for some, some food or whatever, and I don't have it. This guy's going to throw the kind of tantrum like I just stole from him. Like, I'm like, you did, wh- wh- where's this sense of entitlement? But the thing is, it's, 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 he's totally reliant on me, right? Children expect to be protected. They have nothing to offer as far as protecting. They, they, they have nothing to provide, but they expect to be provided for. They're just in need. The same thing as when Jesus Christ says it's hard for the rich because the rich person is so secure. There's so much he can trust in. He's not desperate. He's not like the poor. Oh, friends, if you're poor, when when someone is poor, I tell you what comes down with that is pride. I I really find it hard to to, to ask people for anything, but if you're poor, you have to make a, a business decision. Are you going to let your pride stop you from living? No, you're going to be humble, and you're humbled. Uh, Jesus says, oh, friends, to receive the kingdom of God, you have to be the kind of person that realizes that when it comes to God, I can bring nothing to the table. We're all so used to being people who bring things to the table, right? We're so used, the, the natural human instinct is to try to earn God's grace, to try to earn things. We, we like to deserve things. Everything, we, we don't like seeming like we are, we're just beggars stretching our hands. I have nothing to bring and I don't deserve it, but could you be good to me? None of us likes to be in that position. But when it comes to standing before God and receiving God's grace, that's exactly the kind of people we have to be. People who say, I have nothing to bring. God, you have to give me goodness. I don't deserve to walk with you. I don't deserve to be your child, but receive me, forgive me, have mercy on me. That's the posture. That's the attitude. I can't bring nothing to the one who is complete, especially because I know how incomplete I am. I'm I'm false and full of sin. I've broken your commandments. I've done what's not right in your eyes, and I I come. We, We sang the hymn, Jesus Christ receives sinful men. Christ receives sinful men, people who have nothing to impress God with, people who don't deserve God's and who know it. I don't deserve your grace. And so they say, 
take me, receive me, help me, save me. But what's the obstacles? Jesus Christ highlights thirdly the obstacles. He tells us about his kingdom and he tells us the kind of people we ought to be. Jesus Christ tells us that there's also obstacles to that. Why do people not stretch out their hands to receive God's grace? Why do people not see the supreme work of God's kingdom? Why do people not look around and say, isn't it foolish for me to live, live for all these things that will pass away, knowing that I'm not in the right place with God? Jesus Christ introduces us to one primary obstacle here, right? We see in the story of the young ruler. Let me read Jesus Christ's words to you. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. They were amazed at his words. Did he, does he know what he's saying? Is he sure? Does he, does, he, does he mean what he's saying? So Jesus doubled down. Initially, he said it's hard. It's a hard thing. He doubles down, he escalates. He says, it's an impossible thing. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What is that? impossible than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus says one obstacle, one serious obstacle to people receiving God's reign in their lives is money, is wealth, is the love of wealth. Riches come hand in hand with the pride that makes it unable for you to say to God, I'm someone of no status. Riches comes hand in hand with what, in another book of the Bible, a writer calls the pride of life. That is, I'm so concerned. I've so prioritized a desire to be something here that I don't have the capacity to be concerned for the world to come, the pride of this life. The, the wealthy person is incapable of demonstrating that radical trust that children can demonstrate, incapable. That radical dependency on someone else, the wealthy person can't do that, they have too much. Too many possessions. The Bible says the young rich ruler, verse 22, was disheartened by Jesus saying, follow me with all that you have. Because he had great wealth. It's so sad. Even Christians, sometimes, we look at people who have great wealth, who are are not Christians. They have great wealth, great money, great cars, and all we do is envy them and wish to be like them. We don't believe what our Savior said, do we? We We don't look at them and mourn. How can our celebrities actually go to heaven? Most of them just can't. And we we stand there and envy their lives. We don't weep and say they're dead in their sin. But my fear for you, brothers and sisters, is you might have that problem too. I'm saying that Jesus Christ said to both of us, as in you guys and me, your wealth is a deceiver. Your wealth will make you trade the kingdom of God 
Your wealth will make you stop thinking about eternal things. Your pursuit of wealth, your love for wealth, your hunger of wealth. And not only is that an issue, of course, we're in the West, we're in a wealthy society. I'm not just thinking about the West. I'm not just thinking about Europe. I'm not just thinking about England. I'm not just thinking about London. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about my brothers and sisters in Hackney Evangelical Reformed Church. And I'm saying wealth will steal the kingdom from us. Because we we love this world. We're so attached to comfort that we can't believe that it's worth living in suffering and trial here and sacrificing here so that we might have eternal treasure in the next. You have to be clear. Jesus said to the wrong rich man, he didn't just say, sell everything you have and, you know, that's it. And go and die of hunger. That's not what he said to him. Jesus Christ says to him, said to him, you lack one thing, verse 21. Go, sell everything that you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. I'm going to give you true wealth, true riches. But his love for money meant he just couldn't put the kingdom first. He couldn't seek God first. And how often do we see this in our own day-to-day lives? Our love for pleasure and our love for wealth means we cannot put God first. We, we can't sacrifice for the things of God. We can't seek the kingdom first. And if you think that that's just an okay way to live, you're not listening to what the Savior says. How difficult it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Let me not end as though this ends on a negative. That would be telling a lie. Jesus Christ then says, because the disciples hear him and say, so who can be saved? And Jesus says, 27, with man it is impossible. It's an impossible thing. This is what I think Jesus Christ is saying. It is impossible for a man of his own volition to just feel the need or to believe that actually God is worth more than my wealth. But with God it's possible. So don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not promising that he's just going to leave you in your riches um, and save you that way. He's saying by God's power and grace, he can bring you to the radical realization that your riches are nothing compared to treasures in heaven. By God's grace, those of us in this room have come to say, I can't run after riches. I can't pursue, I have to pursue God. By God's grace, those of us in this room have, have come to say, you know what? I could have followed this line of work. I could, have, I could have lived my life this way. I could have planned my life this way. And this is where I would be. I would be this person. But I, can't, I need to follow after God. By God's grace, some of us have made the trade and said, if I, would, if I had only ignored God and ignored the message of the gospel, I know where I would be. I know I would be this person. I'd achieve this much. But I choose to sacrifice on the altar of knowing who God is. Only by God's grace. Only by God's grace can you sit here and say, the purpose for living is to do the glory of God. My, my life is not about, what, what does life mean to you, oh, to, to, to get the bag? Only by God's grace do you not answer that way. Only by God's grace do you not decide that life is about acquiring luxury so that you can be in high fashion, so that you can be respected and envied. Only by God's grace 
Oh, friends, and if you don't think this is true, go and speak to your unbelieving friends and see how many of them are just pursuing wealth. They're not trying to, you know, I'm not talking about those of you who have, I'm not even talking about if you have gangster friends. They're not trying to be gangsters. They're not trying to do harm things, do things illegally. They're doing things legally. They're working hard. They are working smart. They're even maybe supporting charities and supporting people, and yet their focus is on making a name in this world. That's all their focus is. Only by God's grace can there be a shift. And you say, it's not about the name I make for myself in this world. It's about knowing the name that is above every other name. The Lord Jesus. Oh, your passion, your desire to be comfortable and to live for yourself in this world is is what's the major obstacle to knowing your God, to knowing him. Because if you're going to follow him, he will say the same thing he said to the young ritual. He'll say that to you. Give up everything and come after me. Now, admittedly, I'm not saying... Literally speaking, he necessarily asks us to do that. But he's basically saying, you give everything that you have into my hands. And I'm the most important thing. Lastly, the promises of the kingdom. As I told you, Jesus didn't just say to the young rich ruler, sell everything you have and, and, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. Jesus said to him, you have treasures in heaven. Sadly, he didn't wait behind long enough to hear Jesus cry. He didn't even say, explain to me what the treasures are. Break down the promises to me. Because Jesus Christ is not, the Bible says he loved him. Christ is not insensitive. Um, Christ is not unfair. He would have broken it down to him. Showed him, you're not losing anything. He would have broken it down to him and said, do you know what treasures you have? And we know that because even now the Holy Spirit continues to work in our hearts to comfort us by the great promises. But in particular in this uh, in this, this passage, I draw your attention to verses 29 and 30. This is after the disciples say, okay, we're not like the young rich ruler. We're not like that rich man who, who wanted his wealth so much. We actually decided that because you're, you told us who you are and because your kingdom is this great, we're going to forsake everything and follow you. We're going to give our lives to you. So someone this morning that says, I, I decided to live for Jesus, and that means I'm not going to have the same friends I used to have. I've decided to live for Jesus. That means I'm, going, I'm not going to be able to do some of the things I used to do. I've decided to live for Jesus. That, that means I'm not going to be looked at the same, the same way anymore. People are, certain people are going to disrespect me. I'm going to even maybe suffer persecution for this. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or land for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold, perfect, satisfactory, abundant return. In this time, that's the crucial thing. You forsake everything and you will receive your reward firstly while you're on earth. So Jesus does not say you're going to have to wait till you get to heaven to see that it was worth it. Christ is not saying you're going to have to wait until you get to heaven to see that you made the right choice. In fact, the blessings will begin to flow now. What are the blessings? A hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Of course, Jesus is not saying 
sell all your wealth and I'm just going to make you richer. What sense does that make? That's not what he's saying to you. He's not saying I'm going to make you a, a multimillionaire in this world. Let me just keep my millions in. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying there will be, first of all, the assurance in this world that you have made the right decision. And that assurance will come from the blessings of belonging to God's family. So the person who forsakes all to follow Jesus will begin to see in this world that they belong to a kingdom that will never fail. And the way they will see that is because Jesus has given them a hundredfold of houses. By, by that I mean, I think Jesus, Jesus means you're going to have homes that belong to you that you never worked for because you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who believe that their homes are yours. Oh, it's the church maybe that is dampening the beauty of Christ's promises because Jesus expects that in our churches, in our congregations, my home should be your home. Mikasa, sukasa type thing. Like, really, because we're family and that we're mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and that we are really a family. And, and so Jesus says, one of the promises is the awareness that I now belong to the family of God. I knew that. When I first became a Christian, I knew that. I'd been going to, Christian, to, to the same church for a long time anyhow. They go into the same church for a long time, week after week, and I call these people, I call them, or well, in my culture, you call them auntie, uncle. I call them that, and hi, and you know, and I knew the young people there. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, in that same church, it became clear to me that I had been brought into the family of God. I just knew it. This is my family. It was different to all the years where I had respected them and liked them and maybe thought they were my family on a kind of earthly plane. Now I knew this was my heavenly family. I knew I belonged to the people of God. But that happened in my local church. Then it would happen when I would go to another church and another conference, another place, and I realized I, I belong to a kingdom that God is establishing. The second thing Jesus says is eternal life. You will receive a hundredfold in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. So it's not perfect in this world. You won't receive it all in this world, but the, world will come, the time will come when in the age to come you will receive eternal life. Oh, friends, and we have to get back to realizing that Jesus Christ is preparing us to overcome death. He's preparing us to overcome death. It doesn't matter how distant death may seem. You're wrong to think that way. None of us have been told the, begin, the, the end dates of our lives. None of us. Um, we didn't decide to start this life, and we won't decide to end it. God is sovereign. But what will happen after death? Jesus Christ says, these folks are holding on, clinging on to their great possessions and wealth, but it will perish in the grave with them. But he promises those of us who are in him, resurrection life. We will overcome the grave. Eternal life. We will live forever. By the time we enter into God's kingdom, we will realize that our lives today, the lives we lived here were just the beginning. We, 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 we've had to speak about losing two older members in our church. And they, were, they, were, they would have lived a long life compared to so many in this world. They literally lived a long life here, but when they stand before their Savior, 
Oh, friends, you'll realize that all those years, it was barely a beginning, barely a start. Eyes have not seen what God has prepared for his people. One day we'll be with God's people. That kingdom that we belong to part to now, you might not see what's so special about these people now, but one day, John says we, it's not clear to us what we shall be. We just don't see it yet. But one day, we'll be together with those people forever in, in new bodies that never fade, that never perish. In, 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 in a new life that has no sickness and most importantly has no separation from God. You receive eternal life. There's no question about the bargain here. You're the one losing if you choose to hold on to your riches and and refuse to follow Jesus. It's the promise of eternal life with God. Let me close by saying, brothers and sisters, you must realize that you have nothing to add. You have to come and receive. With, 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 With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Uh, In verses 32 to 34, after this discussion about receiving the kingdom, Jesus Christ reminds his disciples. Verse 33, he says, I will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn me to death. They will deliver me to the Gentiles. They will mock me, spit on me, flood me, kill me, and after three days, he will rise. There's nothing you can add to the crucified one. There's nothing you can add to the one who rose again that you may have eternal life. Jesus has done it all. He has shown us the supreme worth of the kingdom by sacrificing his life on the cross and rising again so that those who trust in him can be assured entrance into the kingdom of God. I will call you this morning to cry out to God. In the closing passage of chapter 10, we read the story of one blind Bartimaeus, and the crowd is there, and they're pressing against Jesus, and they don't want him to speak, but he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Ignore the crowd. Ignore the... The people who will tell you that this is, uh, this is ridiculous. Ignore the crowds, the crowded thoughts that make you think, can I, can I do this? Can I really follow after him? Is it wh-? Ignore that and realize you have nothing to bring. Realize how desperately you need him and, and cry out to the one who was crucified and who rose again and say, save me. Bring me into your kingdom. Jesus Christ has shown you the impossibility of your situation so that you will see that only he can do it for you. With God, all things are possible. And if you turn to Jesus, he will not refuse you. He will usher you in into his glorious kingdom. Amen.